Good morning. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been in this perspective. Good to see everybody here this morning. Boy, it's been a lot of a lot of hills and valleys, a lot of ups and downs, one coast to another coast, a lot of travel, a lot of stuff going on uh, for me, both in life, in my mind, <laughs> in my inner world, and. Uh, there's been some things, I guess, you know, I, I like to talk about ways that, that I, I feel like taking things that I don't know how they're useful, I don't know what to do with them, truths that I can sense that are real but somehow don't translate into life. I like taking those things and sitting with them for a while and trying to figure out exactly what Takor meant when he said to, you know, take this Advaitic knowledge, this knowledge of oneness and tied in the corner of your dhoti, you know, what are the implications of that? And, and these higher truths, you know, when we start talking about Advaita, one without a second, that all of this is unreal in a, in a, in a way and very real in another way, what do we do with that? You know, when, when somebody says there's one without a second and, and that the whole universe is moving as it moves and that you're not the doer, and then at the same time telling me that I shouldn't sit there and do nothing or that I won't be able to sit there and do nothing, how do you merge all of that? How do you do something with that? How do you understand or, or come to any terms with that? So I've been digging in that and trying it, uh, trying to apply it to some of my bigger challenges, uh, you know, trying to apply it to, to, uh, to, to depression, you know, trying to, to apply it to uh, life, like a future and an ambition, and what does that mean and how does that come together? trying to uh, apply it to failure, you know, trying to apply it to, to uh, just different struggles and shortcomings. And uh, I've, I've come up with a playful little sequence of meditations uh, that have become my, my shower companion <laughs> in the morning. So I'll share that with you at the end, but we'll lead up through here uh, through quite a few things. I'm going to start, of course, with a poem called The Theater of Freedom by our friend Hafiz. He says, In my divine studio, what I have been working on is this, painting the truth, revealing a more realistic picture of God, tearing down the cruel walls that separate you from this tenderness of fire. Someone must be withholding the crucial lines in all those stories that you've heard of our friend. For there's still so much fear, so much pallor upon your cheeks. And I rarely see you in that marvelous theater of freedom. Hafiz knows you could not describe him. Even if we sat side by side on a caravan for years even if we slept close together in my tent and became familiar with that holy scent that the sun and my master leave whenever they visit. For someone has happened, or something has happened to your youthful passion, that great fuel that you once had to defend yourself against becoming tame. And your eyes, your eyes now often tell me that your once vital talent to extract joy from the air, has fallen into a sleep. All that you could ever say of me can only describe my camel's tail. 
and that coarse hair that is barely visible sometimes on the left side of the moon's nose, in my divine studio, where I am sitting right now, crafting your heart, your lyre, your flute, I long for the day when you will join me in knowing the extraordinary humor of all the enchanting realities of all the infinite performances of our beloved God. That's always a vision that I, I have, just this intense playfulness of God, the, the, that divinity. I, I imagine and, and, and play in my mind sometimes on that idea. And I find that the thing that always comes in is fear. You know, being afraid to be presumptuous. Being afraid that maybe I'm assuming too much <laughs> from the divine, that maybe I need to be a little bit more sober, a little bit more serious, because my life is so often in disorder and my mind is so often running wildly about God only knows where. But I suspect that that's needless, and that fear comes from a lack of faith, a lack of trust, and that that is probably central to the problems that we or I experience. Sri Nishigadatta, who you know, uh, that wonderful cigarette maker, <laughs> to understate his greatness hugely, in Bombay, that realized soul wrote, The real experiencer is not the mind, but myself, the light in which everything appears. Self is the common factor at the root of all experience, the awareness in which everything happens. The entire field of consciousness is only as a film or a speck in the I am. This I amness is being conscious of consciousness, being aware of itself, and it is indescribable because it has no attributes. It is only being myself, and being myself is all that there is. Everything that exists exists as myself. There is nothing which is different from me. There's this beautiful idea that we are that light of consciousness, that everything comes out of us and then gets reflected back to us. It's a marvelous uh, thought and experiment. You know, when I was sitting here one day in the shrine and I was, you know, staring at, at, at this marble statue as such and this wonderful feeling that comes in the heart, you know, as you think of Takor and what he means to you or to us or to some. And that, that feeling of warmth grows. And I wondered at that. I was like, here I am in an empty room with a stone statue and such a wonderful feeling is coming. Where is that coming from? Why is it there? How does that happen? And I began thinking and trying to, to run through ideas from the scriptures that, that kind of tumbled into the mind. I like to think those are the times that mother does her teaching when you sit there and quietly wonder and quietly ask questions to that silence inside. Mother somehow plays, you know, a game and throws a few things out to catch your attention. And I saw for a moment in my mind's eye this idea that the beloved is what is me that this energy in total, this vibrant love in total, this existence in total is a light. And this whole world comes out of me and gets reflected back to me. 
And when that beautiful light that comes out of the heart reflects off of something that reminds it of itself, of its purity, of its richness, of its humility, of its love, that reaction, that worship is spontaneous, happens immediately. That feeling, that warmth in the heart. Worship is the only real reaction to the divine. It's the only response that comes normally and naturally when the beloved recognizes itself through you in the world around you. So there's this idea of of understanding that this life is within me. I'm not within this life. You know, to stand there in the shower in the morning, getting ready for the day and trying to burn off the, the grogginess of the evening and whatever mood you woke up with, and to sit there and recenter yourself and to know that this light has awakened, that the opportunity for this manifestation has awakened, that there's a day before you to watch and to see wonder, things that you haven't seen before, experiences you haven't had before, and experiences you have had before, that it will be deeper, will be truer, will be more, more touching than they were before. To know that all of the people you're going to see today are you, aspects of you, expressions of love, a story of love. I like to see every life as a story, a manifestation of how love can be expressed in the particular path that you're on, your particular series of events in your life, that your life is your love story told through the things that you are attracted to, told through the things that you believe in, told through the mistakes and the ignorances that you have, but story of love nonetheless. Even your faults are a story of that love, confused as it may be, as centered on a body and mind as it may be. Your life is that story, and to become conscious of that, to become aware of that, is one of the most beautiful moments that a life can have. And to know it absolutely is the very goal of life. Swami Vivekananda wrote a wonderful letter to Mary Hale. I always am amazed to think that Swamiji actually wrote to people. I always think, what would, what would it be like to get a letter from Swami Vivekananda to you personally? Especially when it says things like this. He says, this is the great lesson that we are here to learn through the myriads of births, the myriads of heavens and hells. Ready? This is the lesson that we're here for. That there is nothing to be asked for. There is nothing to be desired for beyond oneself. The greatest thing I can obtain is myself. I am free. Therefore, I require none else for my happiness. Alone through eternity, because I was free, am free, and I will remain free forever. This is Vedanta. I preached the theory so long, but oh joy, Mary, my dear sister, I am realizing it now, every day. Yes, I am. I am free. Alone, alone, I am the one without a second. (laughs) What a wonder. (laughs) To be able to say that, to be able to know that, and to start your day with that thought. 
This is, this is the second part of that, of that daily ritual for centering the mind and using your Advaitic knowledge to increase your bhakti, to increase your love, to increase your manifestation in purity in this world. To know that there is nothing that you need today. He says it here. There is nothing to be asked for, nothing to be desired beyond oneself. The greatest thing I can obtain is myself. I require none else for my happiness. To remind yourself, your soapy eyes, your hair all up in shampoo, I don't require anything to be happy today. (laughs) I don't need a thing. Everything that I need is right here, being showered, you know, (laughs) experiencing, watching all of this. I don't need anything today. Nothing has to be done properly. Nothing has to be acquired. Nothing has to be earned. Nothing has to be taken care of. I'm absolutely free in and of myself. That freedom is the most delicious idea in the world. I remember watching birds, you know, when I sat on the beach in San Diego down at the bottom of the cliffs and just watching these seagulls go right up to the edge of the rocks. They're not worried at all about falling. Falling never occurs to them. (laughs) And then they just kind of put out their wings and sort of just slip off the edge and just float away. And that just seemed like freedom to me to fly like that. It's an idea that I have of the beloved when I die. You know, this idea that God meets us at our time of death to take us wherever. (laughs) If it's that simplistic, who knows? But to dance, to go off and fly dancing with the beloved through the universe, you know, to go and see all of these nebulas and these amazing things that are only recently being photographed that are so beautiful and have been there for billions of years for no reason, seemingly. Completely unseen until now, you know, as we focus the Hubble telescope on them. To see the beauty that God has invested in places that we're never going to see. Nobody's going to see it. He did it for his own sake. Just for the beauty of beauty. Just for the love of love. Just for the light of light. Just because of what, who, he is, she is, that is. To live in that freedom and remind yourself there's nothing to be accomplished. I'm absolutely free in this world. And to take it seriously. No, I don't have to go to work today. Because you don't. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but. No, 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 no. You choose to go to work today. Or you choose not to. You choose to pay your bills or not to pay your bills. You are absolutely free. And you say to yourself, well, but, 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 but. <laughs> Why do we go but, 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 but? <laughs> it's your mind. You see, we talked earlier this week, we had, a, we had a lesson over at Leisure World, and we talked about this idea of, of being free to experience this moment as this moment. Now, why is it so difficult to do that? Why, why are there whole books written on this, and yet we still can't seem to grasp it? This idea of, ex- of, of experiencing this moment as freedom, as desireless, as fulfilling, as full, as beautiful. Why can't we see it? Because we don't experience the moment. And you say, what are you talking about? I said, right now, if I ask you, how are you? Who do you ask to find out who you are or how you are? You immediately go to your mind. Mind, how am I? And the mind has a story as big as the planet, you know? Oh, well, today you're depressed. Yeah, brother, you're depressed today. Oh, and you know what? You've gained five pounds, so you're on the, you're on, you can't eat today. You, you can't have anything you like. Oh, God, you've got to get that report done today. 
You see, you don't experience the moment. You experience what your mind tells you about the moment. And the problem with that is the mind holds all of your karma in tow. The mind holds all of your attachments in tow. The mind holds all of your desires in tow. And you're asking that creature what this moment is. And no wonder we walk around in confusion, chasing one thing to the next. Why? Because that mind and that body are changing every second. You know, you think, oh, what do I need to be happy? I think I need a half of a chocolate cake. So you go and you get that chocolate cake with some great effort. You cut it up, you eat a whole half of chocolate cake, and then you feel sick to your stomach. You're not happy anymore. Oh, God, what do I need now? Oh, I need a nap and an Alka-Seltzer. So then off you go to your nap and your Alka-Seltzer. Well, then you sleep through your appointment that you were supposed to meet with your whatever. You see, one thing after another after another, as long as you're querying your mind and your body to determine how happy or content you are, you're an ape. <laughs> you're a monkey. In the great words of Swami Prabhupada, you're dumb. <laughs> you're being dumb. Because you have nothing to do with your mind. Your mind is not you. You actually will turn out have nothing to do with your body. It's not you either. So what do you query? There's no one to ask. There's only yourself. So who do you talk to? You don't talk to anyone. That's what sets up the duality. That's what sets up the conflict. That's what makes us two people in one. You know, the happy person and the unhappy person. The person who wants purity and the person who wants impurity. The person, you know, who wants lots of money and the person who wants to give it all away. The one who wants a big family and the one who wants to walk alone in the mountains as a wandering sadhu. <laughs> These two people that we create in ourselves. Why? Because we, the silent, ever-present, unchanging self, are always querying this bundle of nerves and anxieties to get information about ourselves. Instead of understanding that I'm happy, and I'm happy for no reason. And the mind's like, no, no, blah, 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 blah. You can't be happy for no reason. As a matter of fact, I've got a list of reasons that you're not happy. And here they are. Boom, 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 boom. Filling it in. And if you believe that relationship, if you believe those words, if you identify with them and say, yes, that's true. All that, yes, that's true. Then you're lured in to this space of pain, of suffering. And around and around it goes. And even Vivekananda, you know, he says, I have, been, I have heard, been preaching this theory for so long, he says. I've preached the theory so long. But, oh, joy, Mary, my dear sister, I'm realizing it now every day. Yes, I am. I am free, alone. I am the one without a second. Sri Nishagadatta Maharaj kind of paints our problem very clearly, he says, between the banks of pain and pleasure, the river of life flows. It is only when the mind refuses to flow with life and gets stuck at the banks that it becomes a problem. By flowing with life, I mean acceptance, letting come what comes, letting go what goes. Desire not, fear not, observe the actual as and when it happens. For you are not what happens. You are to whom it happens. 
Ultimately, even the observer, you are not. You are the ultimate potentiality of which the all-embracing consciousness is the manifestation and the expression. This flowing with life, it's maintaining that space of I'm happy, I'm free, I'm undefined. This day can be anything. Now the problem is, and what he's alluding to here, is when you sit there and say, I'm free, the very next sentence that comes to mind usually is, I can do whatever I want. That is not freedom. Because you're going to have to ask somebody else what you want. And who is that somebody else? Your mind. And your mind's going to have a good long list. And a lot of stuff on that list you can't get. And you can't afford. (laughs) And you're going to have to work long and hard to get it. Only to have the mind change from under you and ask for something else. So what do you do? You stay in that place of freedom. Well, how are you free? By having no preference for what comes. You just accept what is. You live in that space and you get ready for work. Why? Because that's what's happening. That's the way life is. That's what's in front of me. And I do it. And I do it in freedom. I do it in happiness and a bliss that is inherent in my experience of this moment when I experience it as the self, needing nothing, requiring nothing for that joy and that bliss of experience, of simply being aware, simply returning to the marvel of life. Nishukadatta goes on, I am real, for I am always now, in the present, and what is with me shares in my reality. A thing focused in the now is with me, for I am ever-present. It is my own reality that I impart to the present event. That it's you sharing your life with all of these things in the world. You sharing this moment. And this moment can be anything. And it's most beautiful when you try not to make it anything. But let it be beautiful. Let it be amazing by not forgetting the biggest treasure is your very existence, a heart of love, a mind of intelligence and freedom, unattached, desireless, and needing nothing, just to enjoy seeing, being. Desire is the memory of pleasure, and fear is the memory of pain. So do you want a whole life just full of memory? Is that what you want? Of course not. So don't query. Know that the memory of pleasure and fear is, is, is your desire, and fear is the memory of pain. So don't, don't, don't remember in that moment as you're opening up your experience of being. You know, there's a story going on in the mind all the time. Sri Nishigadatta says that if you were to take this slice of time, which you can't do, but take this paper-thin slice of time, and now we'll take a second one. And now we're going to put those two pieces together. And he says you can know for sure not one particle in either of those two infinite pieces of paper is going to align. Because this moment sliced like that and this moment sliced like that have nothing to do with each other. He says the whole universe is created anew from moment to moment. He says the only thing that's tying it all together 
is the story of your mind. Your mind that is forcing it to make sense. And of course the mind's like, I'm not doing that. But think about a dream, right? I talk about this all the time. One of my funny, the funniest experience to me is you have this wonderful dream. It's exciting, it's colorful, it's amazing, it's full of drama. And you wake up and you're like, oh my God. You go to the breakfast table and your roommate's sitting across the table and you're like, man, I had this crazy dream last night. And then you start telling it. <laughs> and that's always the weirdest experience because as you're telling it, you're realizing it doesn't make any sense at all. One minute I was in this room and I was sort of flying and then the next moment I was suddenly on top of this big hill and there was this huge vista of stormy clouds but then I had to get to my hotel room but I couldn't find my luggage and then there was this bus and all this stuff. But in the dream, it was like, yeah, it all makes sense. This is cool, I get it. So much so that you thought there was a story there. This world's exactly like that. Your maya is your own. We're not all sharing the same maya. We've all got our own. And that maya is the story that your mind is telling you, the infinite self. And it's telling you that story, and you're sitting there in the theater of life, totally engaged in the movie that you're watching. And you're weeping, and you're laughing, and you're stressed out. And oh my God, it's all, it's all just a story told to you by your mind. You're sitting in a theater. If you could sit in the theater and just know... I'm sitting in a theater, I'm watching a movie, which is just moving, not even moving. It's just one still picture after another and a soundtrack. It has nothing to do with me. It's true you're not going to enjoy the movie in that sense, but you're also not going to weep and become anxious and cry when they break up and weep again when they get back together <laughs> and then be happy at the end when they ride off together and then the movie ends and you think, oh God, nobody rode off with me. <laughs> And sadness sets in. You see, it's the story that you're listening to that creates what you are. Because we're all the same one. We are all that one without a second. The thing that makes us different is the story we're listening to. It's one of the most bizarre things today to see these group of young kids walking along. There'll be five or six of them. I'll see them, you know, walking home from school. All together, but every one of them, you know. Together, but not together at all. Why? Because they're all, they're probably talking to each other. Tapping away on the screen. But all of them invo involved in their own reality. Their own story that's consuming them. And what are they missing? Well, maybe nothing. But they're not talking to each other. They're not engaging. They're not encouraging. They're not helping. They're not reaching out. And not to get down on, on people doing that. It's not necessarily the case. But it's apropos to what we're engaged in. All of us are completely consumed with our internal YouTube station, <laughs> you know, constantly telling us our story and getting us all worked up about things that aren't even here right now, aren't even real. How many times do you sit in a beautiful room like this with beautiful people in a wonderful atmosphere and worry about what somebody said to you yesterday or worry about a report you have to turn in on Monday? You know, and so for a moment, you're not able to experience the bliss of being when that report's going to take care of itself. If you're not attached and have no desire and just do it for its own sake, it will be done best. I had a friend, uh, Clement. He went, he traveled for, uh, uh, through Southeast Asia and he was talking, he was in, he was in Cambodia and uh, he had stumbled upon this cave temple that had a Buddhist monk that was living in it. 
And he went into this temple, and it was be- in this cave, and it was beautifully carved. It was a marvelous uh, experience. And he said the atmosphere in there was so rich and so full that he just sat down and meditated with this silent monk for half hour, 45 minutes. And he said while he was sitting there, apparently there was a parking lot not far away because he said suddenly this gaggle of tourists came in, all of them with their cell phones and their video cameras. And he said they all piled in, everybody looked around, everybody was looking through their camera or through their phone, filming everything. They came in, once everything was filmed, all of them pittered on around and turned out and went away and left him again in that silence. And he thought about that and he thought about life and he thought that's, that's the problem of life. We walk into a temple like this, full of peace, full of potential, full of reminders of what is deep and profound and lovely. And what do we do? We sit there and watch our internal YouTube channel. We record the memories, you know, but don't experience the moment. Just like those tourists, they walk in, they're in a holy place, an amazing opportunity to experience the moment in one of the deepest and most profound ways possible. And buzz, 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 catch, 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 turn around, go. They never saw the temple. They saw a video that they were trying to record of the moment and were so caught up in trying to record the moment that they didn't even see it, didn't even know it. We have to be careful because the mind is like that. Like everything mental, the so-called law of, ca- of causation contradicts itself. Uh-oh, now we're in trouble. No thing in existence has a particular cause. The entire universe contributes to the existence of even the smallest thing. Nothing could be as it is without the universe being what it is. When the source and ground of everything is the only cause of everything, To speak of causality as a universal law is wrong. The universe is not bound by its content because its potentialities are infinite. Besides, it is a manifestation or an expression of a principle fundamentally and totally free. This universe, utterly, excuse me, (laughs) utterly spontaneous, utterly free. You are part of this huge oneness. That's why the Takor says that the ultimate truth is that you're not the doer. You know, you're not the doer. It's an illusion that you're a doer because you're, you're one of these balls kind of cascading through one of these machines, a pinball machine, you know, and everything, everything is calculated in there. Everything's going to turn out the way it does. But because it sometimes does what you want it to do, you, you imagine yourself to be in control. And then you get concerned about that control. And then when things happen that you're not in control of, that causes stress and causes anxiety. And you think, oh my God, I have to take care of that now too. How am I going to reach that far to take care of that? Again, involving this mentality, involving this ever-changing, never-content mind and always imbalanced body for the state of your being is a big mistake and your biggest bondage and that which will not let you see or experience your freedom. But he says, the master, Takor says, but why should this universe be unreal? You know, why, why should we say that it's all an illusion? It's just a dream. There's nothing there. He says, why should this universe be unreal? 
That's a speculation of the philosophers to say this is unreal. We know something's real. We just don't know what it is. We're experiencing something. We just have no idea. He says, after realizing God, one sees that it is God himself who has become the universe and all of its living beings. So that gives you a clue what you're experiencing at this moment. You're experiencing your beloved at this moment. How many of us keep thinking we're going to meet him someday? We're going to see it someday. We're going to be fulfilled someday. We're going to learn to meditate someday. <laughs> we're going to have our realization someday. What will change? If God is in, through, and of, and beyond everything, what is going to change? What are you going to see that's not God that's going to give you your enlightenment? What are you going to understand that's not in this moment that's going to open your eyes? Your realization isn't going to come from your friend, the mind, either. The mind is not going to give you that understanding of something beyond itself, because it can't. It's stuck in the world of threes, coming from the world of fives. What does he mean by that? What are the threes? Past, present, and future. Subject, object, and relationship. The mind is stuck in threes. And everything that's coming through that filter of threes is coming from only five sources, your five senses. You've never experienced anything more than a combination of five senses. To be excited about that and to think that that's somehow going to make life great is a putridly small mind. <laughs> five things are going to make you an infinite being happy. No, it's not. You need not be happy. You are happy. Become happy anyway. The Divine Mother revealed to me in the Kali Temple that it was she who had become everything. She showed me that everything was full of consciousness. The image was consciousness. The altar, consciousness. The water, the water vessels, consciousness. The door sill, consciousness. The marble floor, consciousness. All of it was consciousness. All of it is you. All of it is you. One of my favorite things to ponder is, is, is dreams and comparing it to the real world here. You know, because I was reading yesterday in the Isha Upanishad that, you know, God is far, he's, he's far as far can be and as near as near can be. And, you know, you hear these Buddhistic koans like that and you're thinking, mm, what does that mean? He's as small as small can be and as big as big can be. How does, what are they trying to say? And it makes me go to that idea of a dream, you know. If we imagine this is a dream right now, that, that, let's say it's my dream, okay? Let's say you're all here, this is my dream. I'm not sure this is what I would be doing, but here we are in this dream, my dream. Welcome to it. So none of you is real. You belong to me. I've created all of your lovely faces. I've dressed you in all of your lovely clothes. You are pieces and parts of me. Now, Shukla is sitting over there. How far away is Shukla from me? You say, oh, probably 25 feet, maybe. See, how did you know that? Why you queried your mind? Mind, tell me how far Shukla is. Well, your mind is in the dream. Shukla has to be closer to me than my two ears are because my dream is happening right here. 
There's not 25 feet for, for Shukla to fit in 25 feet away from me at this moment. And yet she's 25 feet away from me. So what is between me and Shukla? Me. It's my dream. It's my mind. It's happening in my, in my consciousness, my awareness. There is no t- space between she and I. She can be as close to me as the me of me, or she can be as far as San Diego. Is San Diego farther from me in my dream than Shukla is? No, because the distance is an illusion. Because we've only got about, I don't know, what is that, eight inches between my ears? So this whole universe in my dream has to be within eight inches of me, (laughs) if you play that way. That's the, that's the marvel of these truths, to help you understand what's between you and me, God. What's me, God? What's you, God? Distance is an illusion. He's as close to you, so close, what is it, Takur says, that marvelous thing, he can hear the anklets on an ant. And yet he can be infinitely far away so that you can't see him at all. And even wonder if he exists. And yet what are you sitting in? You're sitting in the mind of the beloved and wondering if he exists. I found everything inside the room soaked as it were in bliss. The bliss of Satchit Ananda. I saw a wicked man in front of the Kali temple, but in him also I saw the power of the Divine Mother vibrating. That was why I fed a cat with the food that was to be offered to the Divine Mother. I clearly perceived that the Divine Mother herself had become everything, even that cat. See, this is what happens when you begin to understand, when you begin to realize and begin to see these things. You stand in there in the shower and you wash that hair and you think, I'm absolutely free. I'm absolutely free. I need nothing to be happy today. I require nothing for my joy. I accept what comes and I let go what goes. And I just manifest what? What you're made of. And what did Takur see everywhere? I saw bliss. Bliss everywhere. Satchit Ananda. That intelligence, bliss, existence, absolute. Saw it everywhere. If you can stop asking the mind, stop asking the body how you are, and start knowing that you are blissful, that you are free, that you are content, that you're infinite, that this is just a manifestation, a beautiful, ever-changing, unfolding manifestation of what? The principle of love, the principle of intelligence, and the marvel of existence. Attaining that love, the devotee sees everything full of spirit and consciousness, To him, Krishna is consciousness, and his sacred abode is also consciousness. The devotee, too, is consciousness. Everything is consciousness. Very few people attain such love. So you see, it's this love that allows us to understand. Why? Because it's the love that makes you free of desire. It's the love that makes you content. For so long, you've been waiting for manifestations of love and then running after them. And what are they manifesting? You. You. You know, when you have your wife, you marry your wife. I say this all the time. 
and you find her to be the most beautiful woman in the world, maybe. And you think that way, and you love her desperately. <laughs> that seems to be the ideal in the movie anyway, right? To love your partner desperately. And then your partner dies, goes away. Where, where is that love now? It's still there. It's still there. Was it, was it in her? If it was in her, everybody would have loved her. Everybody would have thought she was the most beautiful woman in the world. It wasn't in her. She was reflecting something beautiful in you. Somehow the divine in you was recognizing itself in your partner. And when you're left with just the memory of your partner, you've got two choices. You can suffer because you're attached and you want more and you're not going to get more now. And that makes her memory or his memory a pain, a hurt, a source of weeping, a source of sadness. Or you can realize that all she did for you was manifest the beauty that was already in you, in her. And that memory, no, need, no longer causing a need for more, that's what attachment is, when the memory is not enough. When you let go of that attachment and you remember now, you can enjoy the beauty of the reflection that still is alive and still is beautiful and still is wonderful. And that memory is no longer about pain, no longer about loss. It's about something eternal, the love that is your nature. Dr. Madhu says, to the master. The love transcending the three gunas means, in other words, that the devotee is not under the control of any of the gunas. The master smiling, which is a good sign. <laughs> yes, that's it. He becomes like a child five years old, not under the control of any of the gunas. Yes, we don't get caught up in the gunas. The gunas are of the mind, right? Pure mind transcends the gunas. The gunas are caught in your mind. They're the ones causing all the havoc. That up and down, left and right, ever-changing world, everything out of balance. They are the story that your mind is whispering to you every time you ask it a question. They are the thing ever-changing. To be free of them is to be like a five-year-old child. What? To be spontaneous. To accept things as they come and watch them go as they go, needing nothing. Hi, bye. I'm ever-free. And this isn't a hypnotization. It's an understanding, a realization. Right now, we're so, the mind so desperately wants you to be dependent on it. That's the nature of ego. The mind so desperately wants you to be in its control. Why? Because without you, it has nothing. Without you, it has no existence whatsoever. And if you put even a modicum of your identity with that, how horrified you are to let go of the mind. How terrible, terribly, what's that word? Petrified of giving it, of, of losing it. You know, it, it is the thing that tells you how you are. It's, it's the thing that tells you you're important. It's the thing that tells you what you want. It's, it's the thing that measures your day. It's the thing that, that gives you your money and, and, and gives you your family. And all of these wonderful things. Oh my God, I can't. You're going to give up all that by withdrawing from me? No, 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 no. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back off here. And the mind will clutch. And you'll be caught. And you'll be up and down and washed to and fro. 
But stand in this place of freedom. Stand in this place of knowing I don't need anything. I am beyond attribute. And what does that mean? Just breathe. Just accept. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And know, not look for, know that you are seeing the beloved everywhere. And what is the beloved? It's that love. Okay, what I'm looking at is love. My God, it doesn't look like it. Ah, step back from the mind. Only the mind story doesn't include love. Only the mind story can't see love everywhere. Because you are that love that's everywhere. You are the loving individual in the room. Giving everything else its existence. But this is the trap. And this is a long one from Swami Vivekananda. It's in his lecture, The Importance of Psychology. This is our trouble. (laughs) It's a frustrating one, too. We are all slaves to our senses. Slaves to our own mind. Conscious and subconscious. The reason why a criminal is a criminal is not because he desires to be one, but because he has not his mind under control and is therefore a slave to his own conscious and subconscious mind and to the mind of everybody else. He must follow the dominant trend of his own mind. He cannot help it. He is forced onward in spite of himself, in spite of his own better promptings, his own better nature, He is forced to obey the dominant mandate of his own mind. Poor man, he cannot help himself. We see this in our own lives constantly. We are constantly doing things against the better side of our nature. And afterwards, we upbraid ourselves for doing so and wonder what we could have been thinking of. How could we have done such a thing? Yet again and again we do it. And again and again we suffer for it and upbraid ourselves. At the time, perhaps, we think we desire to do it, but we only desire it because we are forced to desire it. We are forced onward. We are helpless. We are all slaves to our own and to everybody else's mind. Whether we are good or bad, that makes no difference. We are led here and there because we cannot help ourselves. We say we think, we do, etc. It is not so. We think because we have to think. We act because we have to. We are slaves to ourselves and to others. Deep down in our own subconscious mind are stored up all the thoughts, all of the actions of the past, not only of this life, but of all the other lives we have lived. This great boundless ocean of subjective mind is full of all of the thoughts and actions of the past. Each one of these is striving to be recognized, pushing outward for expression, surging wave after wave out upon the objective mind, the conscious mind. These thoughts, the stored-up energy, we take for natural desire, talent. It is because we do not realize their true origin. We obey them blindly, unquestioningly, and slavery, the most helpless kind of slavery, is the result, and we call ourselves free. Free! We who cannot for a moment govern our own minds, nay, cannot hold our mind on a single subject, focus it on a point to the exclusion of everything else, even for a moment, 
yet we call ourselves free. Think of it. We cannot do as we know we ought to do, even for a very short space of time. Some sense desire will crop up, and immediately we obey it. Our conscience smites us for such weakness, but again and again and again we do it. We are always doing it. We cannot live up to a high standard of life, try as we will. The ghost of past thoughts, past lives hold us down. All this misery of the world is caused by the slavery to the senses. Our inability to rise above the sense life, the striving for physical pleasure, is the cause of all the horrors and the miseries in this world. (laughs) Yeah. As long as you go to the mind to define yourself, as long as you go to the mind to ask it, what is this moment? How do I feel? What do I want to do? What shall I wear? What shall I eat? Who shall I call? Should I go to the movies? Should I go to the mall? (laughs) What is it that you're obeying? Where are you stuck? When someone tells you you're free is the first thing in your mind, I can do whatever I want. Because to do what you want is your slavery. To be free of want is freedom. To be content in this moment and not need to go anywhere and not to want anything, that's freedom. And your responsibility in that freedom is none. You manifest. Yours is the responsibility like the fountain out front. (laughs) Just let that divinity in you continually flow. Just continually flow. You just watch it, enjoy it, become overwhelmed. If you can manage for even a split hair of a second to see this moment as it is, you would see what Takwar sees, an infinite ocean of consciousness with waves of overwhelming bliss rushing at you with such a force that it will undo your very sense of I. To include everything. To be everything. Do not listen to the mind to find out who you are. Don't ask the body how you are. You exert your nature. I'm ever free. I'm ever pure. I'm ever blissful. I have never been born. I will never die. I cannot be hurt, I cannot be burned, I cannot be wet. I am that infinite self, unbounded and ever free. The real world is beyond the mind's ken. We see it through the net of our desires, divided into pleasure and pain, right and wrong, inner and outer. To see the universe as it is, you must step beyond the net. It is not hard to do so. This net is full of holes. But this source is not the cause, and no cause is a source. Because of that, I say everything is uncaused. You may try to trace how a thing happens, but you cannot find out why a thing happens, why a thing is as it is. A thing is as it is because the universe is as it is. So your three-part exercise for controlling the mind 
is to first know that you are the light of consciousness that is manifesting all of this. That you are that light of awareness. Simply the knowledge that you exist. To be conscious of your own consciousness. Aware of your own awareness. And in that know that you are free. Establish yourself in that freedom. You don't have to do anything today. You don't have to do anything. And in knowing that you have to do nothing, manifest spontaneously. You need nothing. So don't decide what you want from the day. You don't want anything from the day. Don't decide where you're going to go. No matter where you've ever gone, you've been only in one place. Where is that? Here. No matter where you go, you're here. Wherever you are, there you are. And the world you create in your mind is the same world you will see there. Know that. And be content here in this moment. If you're not happy here and now, you're not going to be happy if you adjust a thousand knobs in a thousand ways. It's not going to change a thing. You're still going to be who you are, where you are. If you're not happy in this moment, you're not going to be happy in a palace. You're not going to be happy in Paris. You might be distracted. Big difference. And why is that important? That's important because of Swami Asitananda to me. One day I'm going to be sitting in a chair in an old folks home, maybe. <laughs> Please not. But <laughs> one day I will be stuck in a chair that I can't get out of. If I'm not happy now, here, in myself, that chair is going to be miserable. That old folks home is going to be miserable. It's going to be a horrible place to be. But if I can understand this these scriptures, these truths that the sages are singing continuously in my ear. That chair can be an oasis. It was for Swami Asitananda. Constant bliss as he just stared into nothing with a smile on his face and occasionally a tear, but always those wet, holy eyes, you know, that you see in those old sadhus, red around the edges, shiny, moist, and when they look at you, you you're immediately like, <laughs> they see, they see themselves in you, and you feel that oneness. You see it. This is the secret of being. To accept what is, find beauty and wonder in it, to need nothing, and to know God is everywhere present and always perfect. Let's take a few moments to think about these things. Just for the tradition of ending with Hafiz. There's a poem called, It Happens All the Time in Heaven. It happens all the time in heaven. And someday it will begin to happen again here on earth. That men and women who are married, men and men who are lovers, women and women who give each other light, often will get down on their knees, and while so tenderly holding their lover's hand, with tears in their eyes, will sincerely speak, saying, My dear, how can I be more loving to you? How can I be more kind?